0: Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast helping wine students and wine enthusiasts alike to learn about all the wines of the world. I'm Matthew Gorn, and I'm a WCT-certified educator and in this podcast I explore different wine regions and different grape varieties and also interview producers from all around the world to explore the vast world of wine. So with Vahey Kushgarian, Apologies for all my Armenian pronunciation during this uh, podcast. Um, I'll let you um, tell us how to um, pronounce the words correctly. Uh, But you make uh, wine in Armenia. And so I'd just like you to introduce yourself before we talk about Armenia and its wines.
1: Uh, Thank you. Uh, Yes, Uh, my name is Vahé Vahé Koshkarian. I'm uh, of Armenian origin and I've been living in Armenia the last 13 years. Uh, but I came via Lebanon, Italy, United States, back to Italy, and then to Armenia. So it's, it's quite a moment, everywhere around 10 to 12 years. I've been in Armenia 13 years now. And I've been in the wine business for 30, as an importer in California for five years. Uh, then um, I moved to Tuscany, I, I was a merchant, then I started also making wine. Then I made also wine in Puglia, then I came to Armenia many years ago, got some land, planted vineyards. So uh, I covered a few aspects of winemaking and the last 13 years I've been in Armenia and uh, mostly
0: making Mm -hmm. Armenian wine, selling Armenian wine, producing Armenian wine. That's what I do. So you've been pretty much everywhere, but you've settled in Armenia. Can you give a short history of Armenian wine? Because I know it goes back a very long time, Um, but just an overview of the history of Armenia and its wine. Let's see. Yes,
1: it goes back a while. Uh, uh, Armenia, uh, maybe eight or ten years ago, there was a discovery of a cave in the wine region here, which is a couple hours from the capital. Uh, And uh, the it was dated This the, the winemaking facility and though we can call it winery but it was uh, kind of in a cave winemaking facility uh, was dated 6100 years so it was a systematic winemaking 6100 years ago uh, there are other places other countries where there, there is there are residues of wine or grape that go they might go a little bit older but those are more accidental winemaking, it's not intentional. We don't, but this cave has bigger, a big amphora, smaller amphora, medium size. There's racking, there's pressing, and whatnot. So that's the oldest uh, discovered winery in the world. And um, a few months back, an another article appeared in Science Magazine, and that dated uh, the, 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 the Grapes, as we know it for winemaking, to 11,000 years, but it doesn't pinpoint Armenia. It pin- it's the foothills of Mount Ararat, which is could be Georgia, Iran, Armenia, and so on and so forth. So it, this part of the world as the birthplace of the wine. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the uh, history. The Armenian rebirth or Renaissance is around since 2010. That's when we left everything soviet behind and we embarked on trying to discover what we have and what we can do with it so and in the last three maybe in the last five six seven years it's it came with a vengeance and and now it's really at a very fast clip there's uh, there's improvements new wineries, is new there's some research in varieties and investments in equipment Consulting winemakers, flying back and forth, so
0: so there's a lot of good energy happening in Armenia. So winemaking goes back six thousand years. Why is why is it only the last ten years that there's been this renaissance in Armenian wine? Good winemaking?
1: question. Uh, let's see. Somewhere, uh, I'm guessing everybody progressed, uh, except when we hit the Soviet Union. Armenia became uh, forced. I wouldn't say to the choice of joining the Soviet Union we were forced to be part of the Union and when we did part of the Union given that the Soviet economy was a planned economy it was a market driven it was planned so from Moscow they had to plan what each nation had to produce from shoes to cars to uh, wine and cognacs. we were handed distilled brandy in the Soviet Union, everything was a copy. Cognac, you know, it wasn't brandy, but it was cognac. It was port wine with a copy of port, Jerez, which with a copy of champansky which is a copy of champagne, so on and so forth. We got handed down brandy or cognac and fortified wines. Every copy of European wine, from sherry to port to Madeira to, uh, and so on and so forth. So for all those years, there was this, uh, you know, we it, it got interrupted, the winemaking, while Georgia was given winemaking. So Georgia continued making wine un, uninterrupted uh, while we moved to wine. So, and then when it became independent, Soviet Union fell apart in the 90s, then you now there was lack of capital. There was lack of research. There were not enough money for institute, so on and so forth. So, you know, fast forward, I went there, I went to Armenia in 97 for the first time. That was seven, eight years after it had fallen apart. And then I planted vineyards in 1999. Those probably were the first vineyards to be planted in Armenia. And then in 2006, 2005, other vineyards were planted, mostly for brandy production. And then in 2009, the first uh, experiment, six barrels I did. And then in 2010, Vintage, which was released in 2011, were the first modern wines. Modern, technically correct, no defects, you know, and wines that had never been in Armenia. So everyone was like, whoa, where does this come from? So that kind of, you know, started the whole. Uh, winemaking. Uh, and then we got, uh, well, we got Michel Roland come for, on this project a year later. Uh, Paul Hobbs came a year after and Paul Hobbs had been there already looking for land and whatnot and he, they planted vineyard and the uh, 14 vintage was the first vintage and so on and so forth. So there's you know, all of a sudden this, you know, uh, the wild west kind of you know who's going to make wine or whatever so there was this jockeying for the position to 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 make the best wine in armenia that was the mantra everybody wanted but that's the same in everywhere in the world they want to make the best wine in the world you know from or from
0: whatever region. of course everyone wants to make the best wine but it's exciting that people in armenia do want to make the best wine which honestly was not the case previously Um, Can you just talk about the geography of Armenia, where Armenia is, and um, the different wine regions?
1: Armenia is in unusual territory. We're in the middle of east and west somehow, mostly mountainous area, mountainous country. To the east is Azerbaijan, to the west is Turkey, both non-friendly, and actually with Azerbaijan, a war, uh, fighting and war, and both borders are closed. So there's no traffic on either direction. Up north, we have Georgia. And through Georgia, we have an open border. And most of our transportation is done via Georgia. Black Sea and then Mediterranean and so on and so forth. So a lot of the the movement of merchandise is via Georgia. Uh, And to the south, we have Iran, which we do have a lot of commercial activity. Unfortunately, no wine because it's not legal. So we can't use Iran to ship wine to somewhere, whatever. So as far as wine is concerned, there's not much happening there. But for other things, so within inhospitable neighborhood, it's everything is complicated. Mountain passes in the winter, it snows, it closes the roads. Close. So there's a lot of these, uh, you know, issues or problems, uh, all surmountable, of course, uh, that we are. So, but we are uh, high, uh, because it's mountainous, it's a high land, all of our vineyards are high elevation. So we start at 950 meters, which is around a little less than 3,000 feet. And we go to 1,800, which are the highest elevation vineyards, 1,800, which is um, a little less than 6,000 feet. Uh, so at these elevations, we have this high elevation farming, which is very different than sea level or lower level. Plus we have because of Mount Ararat and we have volcanic for the most part it's volcanic soil. We have rocks, rocks everywhere, it's basalt, tooth, limestone, so it's a, a very conducive to making great ones. You know, then we have all of the a few hundred varieties that over millennia has has been propagated, has been cross varieties and so on so forth and now we probably use around 30 or 40 different varieties in small quantities maybe three four varieties in larger amounts but for the most part it is lost varieties that we are trying to restart so that's the geography and the terroir if you will of
0: armenia so, what are the challenges of growing grapes in armenia we used to have
1: a major challenge uh, which was because it's so cold in the valley ararat valley that until maybe five six years ago we had to uh, put all the vines underground because and then it and okay. the soil acts as insulation then if you have minus 25 or minus 30 centigrade, you don't lose the plant, you know. So, and then in the spring, you open it up, put it back on the trellis, back and forth, back and forth, twice a year. This would be, you know, somewhere in November, put it on the ground, open. So now, partly because of cost and partly because of global warming, people are gambling and not to do that, you know uh especially where the cold air sits and you know it can be ugly so if something like that happens then you have to cut back and then let the vine grow again you know the root system stays because it's under soil but you have to do that that's um, one of the challenges used to be it's uh, now it's becoming less important uh, for obvious reasons of global warming the other issue we had was that because of all disease we hadn't done it, we had lost the culture of wine. It's coming back, but we really had lost it. and the third is again because of the Soviet Union research of after right after during Soviet Union research was there, but right after things got fell through the cracks, so everybody was on his own. there wasn't serious research being done in varieties, in diseases. In viruses and whatnot so now there's all of these coming together yeah. uh, another major issue could be that we didn't have phylloxera during the Soviet Union it was more controlled uh, and now now it's a little bit out of control so there are some areas where now phylloxera is coming into being so now we have to rethink how to protect
0: ourselves by grafting the vines didn't used to be grafted with a uh, root stock. they were just on their own. No, until
1: now it's ungrafted; it's own-rooted, it's own-rooted uh, plants. And the advantage is that if uh, you get a cold, 25 minus 25 degree, then you lose the top part, but the roots stay. So just cut it, and you will get from roots all the way top an armenian in uh, Venus Vitis vinifera variety. And when you have grafted and the cold hits, now you lose the top part because the graft is above ground. And then now you have a problem that you have rootstock on the bottom. So you have to graft on it again. Or if you are putting under the soil the graft point is very delicate, you have to be careful not to crack it. So So, you know, that's another issue that at some point we have to deal with, you know. There's some solutions people do, you know. And the beauty of ungrafted, of course, is that the vineyards can last 80, 100, 120, 130 years. But the grafted vineyards normally have a lifespan of 30 years, 35 years. Then they start dying because of the graft point, I think. Otherwise, you know, they become trees.
0: You know, so. So let's talk about the different grape varieties then. So you mentioned there were thirty to forty grape varieties planted, though they're a lot more indigenous to Armenia. But what are the major varieties? And uh, Areni is the one that um, most people know about if they know about yes.
1: Armenia. Um, roughly there were a few hundred and now the last maybe four years Uh, The institute here has been doing DNA testing, so now they have a dendogram of around 100 varieties. The dendogram shows how each variety is related to the other one. Some of them are the albino version, like this white RNA, which is the albino version of RNA, let's say. Then there are crosses, so this dendogram shows all of the varieties that have been collected and analyzed and fingerprinted, DNA fingerprinted. That said, having said that, uh, we have probably around four varieties. Areni is the most popular. Uh, Khendoni or Sideni was the second biggest uh, popular, but that was in an enclave that we lost. So now that variety, we have to figure out how to find somewhere in Armenia where it's hospitable. It's good that it has a good opportunity to grow. And then we have kachet, which is a more a structured, tannic variety. Kachet. Uh, we have tozot, which means dusty. We have garmidvot. Uh, you know, we have a few. These are these varieties that now are with replanting them so that we can have enough quantity to be able to reasonably have quantities and experiment with those. We have many more whites, Uh, whites also because of the cognac production, a lot of the whites were preserved. They kept the whites much more. Uh, Voskehad is the lead variety. It's a compact grape, good acidity, good structure, lends itself very well for better fermentation and stainless steel fermentation. Uh, And then we have gilar is another variety like a greener kind of thing a little bit if you know we have to find something to compare let's say uh, that would be uh, one we have up north we have the variety for lalvari uh, that's a cute variety uh, we have white arini we have kharji we have khatun kharji so these are all varieties unfortunately most of them are really have difficult names. Sometimes we use synonyms because it's okay. It's a, so chondoni, which has a and a uh, we use sireni, which is the synonym. You know, well, not everyone uses it, but for the export if we want reasonable we you know, uh, it's, it's normal and it's legal to find a synonym that people yeah, you know, like Primitivo and Zimbabwe. They're the same weight, but you know so Zintand we can more little bit more popular, and so on and so forth. So these are the varieties, and there are many others. But we do micro-vinify. Not all varieties are spectacular. Some of them are kind of watery, like boring kind of thing. But Or or uh, some varieties were planted in the vineyards, uh, let's say 80% of RNA, then you have movus and whatever, because they had big bunches, you know, to give volume like Canaiolo in Tuscany, you know, beauty Sangiovese, San Giovese, but, or they also put uh, uh, Malvasia Bianca, they used to put white in it, it's to add, because it, you know, all of a sudden, with a small plot, you can have a lot of grapes that, you know, you can increase your production volume, let's say. So there's a bunch of varieties, all of them, <laughs> difficult to, to pronounce. Can you talk specifically about Arrhenia? is a relatively, uh, it's, it can be thick skin or thin skin, depending on the production, whether the berries are big or small, depending if it's irrigated or not irrigated, let's put it that way, uh, but need, none of them are tannin. There's no tannin in it. They're not tannic wines, unlike similar to Pinot Noir, if you will, or not the flavor profile, but the structure perhaps, the mouthfeel, but it has a good peppery character, like black pepper, you know, it's very typical of it. It's an ovular variety, more like an egg, kind of ovary, it's not a perfect round. It makes wine with good structure and fruitiness. Of course, if it's un, or very irrigated, we have to irrigate in Armenia, because with just very well-drained soil, there's not much clay, so, you know, without irrigation, it's almost impossible to, to to do viticulture. So, depending on that, if it's smaller berry or whatnot, you get more extraction, more color, but usually it's a paler color. We make, for example, I make a sparkling wine which is from high elevation vineyard from the same variety. It's a blonde noir and it lends itself wonderfully to that, also to beautiful rosé. It gives it this. Salmon colored, salmon onion skin, like Provence kind of thing, not the pink rose, you know, more that, you know, orange, peach, uh, salmon colored things. So, and, um, you know, so far, results uh, it, it lends itself to aging. Again, you know, similar to Pinot Noir aging, let's say, not a big monster. Uh, They're not monster wines, and it appeals to, uh, you know, people who like more elegance than power. So, that's other in general. Now over time, now we're doing clonal selections uh, from different, we don't, the clones have no names because there has not never been anybody. So we're doing, we're adding names because it came from a vineyard somewhere where we Brought the cuttings, so then we, we we give it either the grower's name or the village name or the plot name, you know. So yeah, that's how we can differentiate. You
0: know. My wife used to work for Paul Hobbs, and she worked with the international brands, and so she worked with Yakubian Hobbs, and helped helped to re- release those wines in the USA. Can you talk a bit about that project? Let's see,
1: Yakubian Hobbs. I know it intimately because I. My winery is an incubator winery, so I do make wine for a few people. And when they planted vineyards, uh, they didn't immediately invest in uh, the winery, so they used my services. So they would bring their grapes from the vineyard to the winery, and we worked very closely with Paul Hope, Paul Hobbs, with Paul. To make sure because he has a certain style of wine so so we execute what is put in front of us because she has a specific we before harvest everything is measured before we get the grapes in uh, maturity level acidity level and so on so forth uh, mostly phenolic maturity and so those wines uh, are making a thing six years now and they're all tend to be elegant they have one Sarpina which is a reserve and they're aged in French barrels and it is really beautiful spectacular wine the white is a blend of three or four varieties I think and so it gives it a little bit more uh, harmonious bouquet it's one of the best whites in Armenia it's considered at least in restaurants uh, some, some of the most elegant whites uh, with There's no barrel-aged wine, and then there's the classic RNA which is all about cherry, this uh, pure fruit approach uh, wines. Yeah. They're really, they're really lovely wines. Yeah, yeah he's a great winemaker. Uh, we have a great time with him. Yeah. So we learn, of course, from him also.
0: So, is there a, a lot of international investment in Armenia to help? advanced the industry?
1: There are for the most part, uh, there's three types of investors, locals, diaspora Armenians and non-Armenians. Uh, Non-Armenians, we have only one from Switzerland, one investor from Switzerland as a Swiss guy and locals we have quite a bit and we have quite a bit of diaspora Armenians. The initial ones that came and, let's say, kick-started were diaspora Armenians because, uh, you know, there wasn't much happening locally. So people who came from the outside maybe knew Paul Hobbes, like, uh, yeah, me, I had been in Tuscany, in Puglia, so I came back. There's another fellow who came from Milan and he, he, he brought perhaps an Italian winemaker and Italian know-how. So, so there's a lot of those were then. it's also there's uh, quite a lot. The local uh, local winery owners or brand owners are now also getting French winemakers and whatnot. Or then we formed the Yerewine Wine Academy, and now that churns around 18 to 20 students a year. It's a one and a half year program, teach from biology, chemistry, viticulture to vineyard management to marketing and so on and so forth so it's it's now it's getting a little bit more more international if you will some of the winemakers are again Antonini uh, Paul Hobbs uh, Michel Roland are non-Armenian you know and then more you know, kind of world-class winemakers yeah.
0: and so I read that the population of Armenia is three million but worldwide the diaspora is eight million. So there's lots of Armeniums around the world. How important is the diaspora for the export market and selling Armenian? Well,
1: this is a tough one. You know how to put it delicately. Uh it is a very important diaspora, it's an important factor. They are our best ambassadors, let's put it that way. Brand ambassadors, if you will. But Until lately, they weren't the biggest wine consumers, so they weren't. There are, of course, sophisticated drinkers that are collectors and whatnot, but there's also a whole mass of people that don't, because especially Armenians that went from here, or the ones that went from Lebanon. For example, in Lebanon, uh, people drank Arak or whiskey, Uh, but, you know, wine was an occasion thing. That's how I grew up you know, twice a year, a bottle of wine, you know. But Arak, every grill, every manza or whatever, Arak, Arak, Arak. So, and these are all went to different countries. And so they didn't pick up the wine cultures. So for us, it's an important market, but it's not like we count on it. We don't count on it, you know. But mostly we aim at uh, a niche of consumers that are looking they're out to looking their adventurous types sommeliers that are uh, they're fine with putting your armenian wine by the glass on their wine list and so so those are for now our best target market if you will where you know it's the 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 one who is wants to find something new he wants to discover something but in the meantime of course the armenian the armenian Wine drinking society is changing also. Armenia adopted it very fast. Most restaurants now it serve; they use riedel or they use spiegelau as glasses, which is amazing. Coming from nothing ten years ago to now, every restaurant pretty much having fine, fine stemware, decanters and whatnot is quite impressive. So. Yeah. You know, short answer is yes, it's important, but it's not critical for the. Uh, we don't count on those eight million. It would be a fallacy to say, oh, if each Armenian bought one bottle of wine, a year, now. You know, we don't have enough wine. Yeah, that is true. If you do similar analogies for China, you know, they think one bottle of wine, one every
0: three years. You know, it it doesn't work that way. And how much Armenian wine is made? What is the product? Uh, somewhere around, not much, honestly.
1: It's around 15 million bottles and it's growing. So it's not really a big. We have a lot of vineyards, uh, but most of the vineyards are for brandy production, cognac production. So maybe around 15, 12 to 15% max is the, the amount of grapes used for wine. 85% or 90% is used for distillation. Slowly changing because the great distillation, grape prices are depressed, while wine, grape prices are higher, so people are sometimes replanting for wine. As the, dem- as the demand grows, so is the supply is catching up.
0: Tell me about your sparkling wine. Uh, I make a sparkling wine
1: called Kirsch my name is Koshkarian, so it's the first five letters of my last name It's a project it's the first time that i'm putting my name on any wine that i made you know in italy i never used i use the name of the estate as the brand and that's the one uh, i did because i just want i love spa i love champagne i love sparkling wine and the country didn't have those sparkling wine so i decided to make and it's it's kind of a family legacy that i want to Leave it to my children. I started in 2013, and from the get-go, we had we knew there was it. We had a winner uh, from tastings, from people, uh, from having served the wines in markets and restaurants, whatnot. We knew that there was a potential. Uh, things changed a little bit when I went to a village called Khachi, which has the highest elevation vineyards in Armenia, at around 1,000. The village is 1,800 meters, the vineyards are 1,750, 50 a little bit lower, and that's around 5,800 feet, which is very high elevation, some of the highest in the Northern Hemisphere. So I went there with the belief that they didn't, sugars didn't rise too high, and you had good acidity for the grapes. And truth be told, you know, we harvest, First week in October, but we have a very low pH, beautiful acidity. But we also have phenolic maturity. So pretty much all of our bubbles now, the last two years, we do it brut nature. We don't do dosage, so we don't need to add sweetness, uh, so that uh, we balance the acidity, which like champagne would they have to do. We otherwise it would be too austere. Uh, to do Brut Nature or Brut Zero zero, with, uh, let's say, less ripe grapes. But because of the high elevation, we get maturity, so we're able to do uh, Padoze, Brut Zero, Brut Nature, but without it to be austere. It is beautifully fruit, it's nice and balanced. So now I've been, since 2014, i've been buying exclusively all the grapes of that village i work with them they all know me we i know them and uh, you know we work and they have some of the oldest vines there 100, 120 year old vines there's also some newer vineyard newer from the 760s from soviet era uh still old but not as old yeah so that's what i i do that's from the khachik village I make a few ones. I make a rosé. I make a classic origins. Uh, that's a blend of three varieties. And then I make a blonde uh, noir uh, uh, ultra Kirsch ultra blonde noir is from the Chaj, from those fingers, and uh, it's a more touch gold gray colors. Uh, more under. I uh, don't do too much bubbles, but there's enough, of course, but not, not like, you know incredible also to keep it elegant to give it a little bit uh freshness with the sparkling and that's what i do with kirsch it's uh it is it got a lot of traction you know uh different magazines it was top 10 wines in bloomberg this year uh you know you know 10 wines of the world from DRC at $23,000 a bottle. House was a modest, $35, $35 a bottle. And it was the discovery of the year. This is for Bloomberg. But in general, we have the same reception in, in restaurants, sommeliers. You know, in Chicago, I was five days ago. And one restaurant is pouring it by the glass, you know, the, the
0: and are other people making sparkling wine? Are they following your example? Is this something that could be a thing in Nami? Uh,
1: there are some others are doing. Uh, there are uh, there are a few producers that do they don't do they don't do method traditionnel, or method classic, not the classic method. Uh, they do more the Charmant method. There's two or three there's one producer who is doing pet nut, so basically doesn't disgurge uh, keeps it easy, simple, but you, know, you go with the sediment with it. Uh, there are now... You know, there's one other producer doing the traditional but very small amounts, and there's one new project now, maybe in a couple of years there'll be another classic method, you know. Uh, you know, for wine it took off very fast in Armenia, but sparkling didn't take as fast. But now it looks like there's momentum being, you know, from the sales growth we can tell. Even though Russian, Russian market, they drink incredible amounts of sparkling wine. It's a, it was a big movement during, I think, post Stalin or Stalin, where we had to do sparkling wine. There was a plan so that they showed the world that the common Russian can drink champagne and eat caviar and that kind of, it was a whole thing and um, and it stuck with them so now they doing, of course the cheap versions and all of their wineries in Russia produce millions and millions of bottles you know the brands that they have spartan wine a lot armenia didn't catch on that fast but slowly it's coming and
0: so what do you see the future of, of, of Armenian wine over the next 10 to 15 years look
1: um uh, Here is how I look at it. I Basically, I I look at it, I say, if we are able to do these wines that now we are exporting, we're not ashamed of them, people are picking them up, they're putting on wine lists and whatnot, and we are doing these wines using leftover vineyards from the Soviet Union, now I'm saying, Let's look at it this way. What will happen in the next 5, 10, 15 years, when now most of the grapes will come from selected clones on the right land, planted the right way, uh, mono-varietal, not like a mosaic vineyard with every, every kind of variety is mixed, which is what used to happen in Soviet times. So I'm saying if the wines we have now are good, then we will go to very good. If our one of wines we are making now is very good, we're gonna go to great wines. You know, so over time, that is the trajectory of the wines that we will start seeing. And I'm hoping we will hit a few world class wines along the way. You know, uh, per- perhaps we'll be able to identify villages, parcels, vineyards we don't have any of it now because we haven't made wine from this parcel and done it a few years running to be able to say ah the soil here is incredibly chist, it is this it is that you know like we do like we have in burgundy let's say you know it's more the next row is chevalier you know, then but that's a few hundred years of experimenting and everyone agrees uh, that you know, when you hit this one, everyone can walk on their knees to go to those vineyards. You know, we don't have that yet, so it's all a work in progress, but uh, it, it will happen. Our children will do it, uh, you know. It's, I mean, the, the direction is right, uh, but we're having fun along the way, so that will happen. I think we'll make some great
0: points in the next decade. Well, fantastic, and I look forward to tasting. More and more Armenian wine is going to get better and better because I've enjoyed the Armenian wines that I've tried. It's exciting when it's such an old wine-producing country and yet everything is quite new, so it's very dynamic and advancing forward. You know,
1: there's uh, the release of the movies, the, the Song 4. Song 4 is all about Armenia. It's all about Paul Hobbs is in it, I am in it, my daughter's in it. It's a great movie. Because there's also a foray. I go to Iran. There's uh, some interesting stuff that uh, we'll see the movie in that year.
0: Thank you for sharing. Very nice to meet you, and thank you for your time.